So we're reading Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 12. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over them all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered all over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals, and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. And now we're turning to 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And that's on page 859. So 1 Peter, chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. disheartening when uh, ordinary everyday Christians who are trying to put Jesus as Lord of their lives and trying to be salt and light in their workplaces and in schools and so on uh, but yet the church leaders are the ones who are ducking for cover when persecution comes when when they are challenged particularly when they're challenged in the media that's discouraging, that's disheartening when we see that. The flip side of that, of course, is how encouraging and how strengthening it is for us when we see our leaders actually uh, standing firm on their convictions and uh, living godly lives uh, in the face of opposition. But persecution is not the only challenge that we face in these days. Uh, for we also live in a time of significant prosperity and although it's obviously some of us struggle financially and the prices of houses have kind of left the stratosphere, 
Uh, it's still true to say that we do live in a time of, of great abundance, perhaps unprecedented abundance uh, in history. We live in a time where it's very easy for us to acquire things and therefore it's easy for us to seek satisfaction in those things which we can possess. And so in times of prosperity, what do we need of our Christian leaders? We need godly Christian leaders. We need Christian leaders who, far from teaching prosperity and exemplifying that in their lives, living its dream, uh, we need Christian leaders who will be examples of sacrifice, of contentment and of heavenly hope. Now, godly leadership is always needed, uh, whether we live in times of prosperity or poverty, whether we live in times of uh, persecution or peace, godly leadership is always needed. For the Christians to whom Peter wrote uh, the letter that we're looking at, theirs was a time of persecution, of uh, deep and uh, severe persecution which was uh, likely to become much worse under the rule of Emperor Nero and indeed that in fact was the case just a few years after this letter was written. And so what did they need? Well they needed godly leadership didn't they? They needed godly leaders in their churches. And so it's therefore in uh, chapter 5 of 1 Peter in verse 1 that Peter now directs his letter, he directs, directs his words specifically to the elders of the churches. Now let's have a look at that. I'm going to read verse 1. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Now let's just think about this word elder for a moment because it doesn't necessarily mean a man who is old, an elderly man. It does include that and in fact that's the, that's the origin of the word. Uh, the original word meant an old man. But over time, that, the meaning of that word evolved uh, and it came to refer also to a leader. And you can see why that would happen, can't you? Because uh, the kind of qualities that are really useful for leaders, knowledge, experience, maturity, these are the sorts of things that can be acquired over a period of time. Uh, and so it's natural, therefore, that... Um, that age and leadership um, are connected with one another. But it doesn't always follow, does it? There are plenty, there are stacks of people that have lived long lives, but they've lived lives outside of God's will. They've, their lives have not been shaped by the word of God and the wisdom that comes from the word of God. And so they grow old uh, and they're not actually wise. They don't actually, they're not actually really good leaders. Um, conversely, uh, we can find young people who have been trained up in the Word of God, uh, whose lives have been shaped by the Word of God, and that they acquire a knowledge and a wisdom um, beyond their years, 
and actually make for good leaders. Um, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul's uh, co-worker Timothy was an example of that because when Paul wrote uh, the letter of 1 Timothy, he uh, instructed Timothy to exercise strong leadership in the church in Ephesus to actually uh, rebuke and correct some older people who were teaching things that they ought not have been teaching and so on. Uh, and he also told him to not let anyone look down on him because of the fact that he was young. Don't let people look down upon you because of your youth. Instead, be an example to them of godliness. So what I'm saying here is that the word elder um, certainly means an, an old man, but it's come to, to refer to uh, leadership, a leader. And sometimes in the Bible it's used one way or the other and you've got to work out from the context is it talking about a leader or is it just talking about an old man uh, by the way the w the greek word for elder is the word presbyteros ever heard of that word before mean anything to you well it, it's where we get our name from isn't it presbyterian um which it, it doesn't actually mean that we are a church just for elderly people not by design anyway, <laughs> can sometimes seem that way. Uh, what it means is that we're a church that is led by elders. We're not led by the congregation. We're not led by just one person. We're led by a plurality of elders, which I think is the way that all churches should be led, but that's another sermon. So what we see here is that Peter is writing to the leaders uh, whose age we do not know. But notice in verse 1 that he doesn't appeal to them as an apostle. He doesn't say, I, Peter, appeal to you as an apostle. Instead, he humbly connects with them, referring to himself as a fellow elder. But an elder who was in fact an eyewitness to the greatest example of leadership that the world has ever known. And that is the sufferings of Christ. Peter was there when Jesus was arrested. Peter was there when Jesus uh, was beaten and was put on trial. Peter was around at the time of the crucifixion of Christ. He knew the example of leadership in the sufferings of Jesus Sufferings, which he points out here, which lead to the glory in which we will all share. And I'll say a bit more about that in a few moments. Now, I've got a friend who has been travelling. And she has been travelling to Israel. And I'm looking for a little zapper at the moment, slide zapper. Never mind if I can't find it. And it's probably somewhere around. Here it is. And uh, you know what it's like if you're on Facebook, you, you know all about your friend's holidays, don't you? Um, because they're sending up the holiday photos. My friend is on holidays. <coughs> She's singing a lot of songs on her holidays. Here we go. Race through it again. Almost there. Clap your hands, yeah, no, keep going. Yeah, there you go, all right. 
So she's on holidays in Israel and she's walking down the street and she just sees a regular street scene. And can you tell what these things are here? Yeah, they're not actually sheep. They're actually goats, but uh, sheep will do. You get the idea. Um, what do you think this, that is there? That's a shepherd. What's that? That's a shepherd's staff. Now, if you deleted those modern buildings, that's a pretty timeless scene, isn't it? Uh, that's a scene that could have been, photo that could have been taken 2000. It was taken a couple of days ago, but that is a timeless scene of a shepherd in Israel. Now, in the Bible, uh, the, the shepherd image uh, captures the essence of, of leadership. Uh, shepherding is not um, particularly glamorous work. It's very difficult work. It's uncomfortable. It's lowly and it's dangerous work. Uh, the shepherd has, I think, three main functions. One is to, uh, to feed the sheep. Another one is to protect the sheep. And another one is to go out and after the lost sheep. Now, from God's perspective, that was pretty good training ground for, uh, for spiritual leadership. Um, it made for good leaders like Moses, who uh, looked after the uh, flock of his father-in-law, Jephro, or David, who looked after his father's flocks. Uh, it's good training ground for leaders because the truly godly leader will do those same things. Um, firstly, firstly, they will feed God's people by diligently and carefully uh, teaching and explaining and expounding and applying the word of God. Because man does not live on bread alone, does he? But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, secondly, uh, he will protect God's people. Uh, the, the godly shepherd will expose the wolves that are in sheep's clothing. Uh, he will refute error uh, in the congregation and will warn God's people of Satan's schemes. For he goes after the lost sheep. He goes after those who are uh, walking away from God and seeks to bring them back into relationship with God. Now, the best shepherds tend, like David, to be those whose family owns the sheep uh, because these are the kind of shepherds who put their, their own lives on the line to protect the sheep from predators. Whereas if a shepherd is a hired hand, just on a contract, then when the, uh, the threats come, <coughs> the, uh, the wolves, the lions, the bears... Uh, the hired hand is far more likely to, uh, to split the scene, to exit, to leave the sheep to fend for themselves. Worse than that, uh, a bad shepherd can actually feed off the sheep. Early on we read from Ezekiel chapter 34, uh, where, um, because throughout the Old Testament, um, the leaders of God's people, the priests and the prophets, so described as being shepherds of God's people. And in Ezekiel 34, uh, God rebukes the spiritual leaders, the so-called shepherds of Israel, for not only did they not protect God's flock, they actually fleeced God's 
flock, uh, literally fleeced them. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 34 verse 2. This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? Well, you'd think so, wouldn't you? But you eat the curds, you clothe yourselves with their wool, and you slaughter the choice animals, but you don't actually take care of the flock. Did you see what they're doing? Instead of giving of themselves to feed and protect the flock, they are taking from the flock to feed and to protect themselves. And so here in 1 Peter 5, Peter exhorts the church leaders to be godly shepherds. Have a look at verses 2 and 3. In verse 2, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as over overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, notice firstly, whose flock is it that they are to shepherd? Is it their flock? No, it's actually God's flock, isn't it? And that's really important. It is God's flock. Um, the, the sheep are not there uh, for the sake of the shepherd. The sheep are not there in order to be used by the shepherd as if the sheep belonged to the leaders of the church. The flock is simply under their care. If there was a situation where the uh, where the flock um, actually belonged to the leader, would you call what would you call that? I'd call it a cult, wouldn't you? That's what you call a cult. Uh, no, the, the the sheep, the flock belongs to God, and the the elders, the leaders, are the under shepherds. Now, by the way, although the position of elder involves leading the church as a whole, uh, these verses apply uh, equally well to anybody who leads a ministry in the church. So anyone who has others under their spiritual care. Um, so the person who leads a growth group or teaches a Sunday school class or serves in the youth ministry or whatever, when we have un others who are under our spiritual care, then we are shepherds of God's flock. So the question is, how therefore are we to serve? And Peter makes three points. First of all, we must serve with a willing heart. Now imagine the shepherd who really doesn't want to be there. Imagine the shepherd who, who really doesn't like sheep. Imagine the shepherd who who can't stand cold nights. Imagine the shepherd who's just there because he couldn't get a better job. There was no other job on offer. I mean, do you reckon that he's going to be the shepherd who's going to go out searching for the good grass? Do you reckon he's the shepherd who's going to go out looking for the lost sheep? Do you reckon he's the shepherd who's going to fight off the wolves? I don't think so. 
I don't think so. And in Christian ministry, there are tasks which we will do which we may not actually enjoy. Um, there are roles that I do, there are functions which I perform that I don't really enjoy doing. But we do them out of a willing heart because we do so out of a love for God. We do them because there is a need and it's the right thing to do and we love God and we want to serve God. That's actually different to the person who leads begrudgingly, who actually doesn't want to be there. They lead perhaps out of a sense of obligation uh, to others. Their ministry ultimately will be unfruitful. They will be self-righteous. And when it gets difficult, they'll complain, they'll whinge, and they won't stick it out. Now, there are great joys in, in Christian leadership, but it is sometimes uh, deeply discouraging. And during times of discouragement and during times even of persecution, it is often the leaders that are targeted. And so unless they are motivated by a deep love for the gospel, it will be easier to give up. Secondly, elders must not be greedy for money, but eager to serve, says Peter. Now, to, to be clear on this, the Bible is quite uh, straightforward that those who give up their jobs to serve in the church... Um, should be paid. The worker deserves his wages, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain and so on. However, good shepherds don't fleece the sheep. That's the difference. And I, I guess the cases of tele-evangelists are, are obvious. You know, a, a few months ago, I don't know why we did it, but Cassie and I were both up early in the morning and we turned the TV set on and... Uh, we got to see the tele-evangelists. I usually don't watch them. And there was this fella, um, <clears throat> and he was looking into the camera, and he was all excited and telling about what God had revealed to him and so on. And he said that God has told me that there's 1,000 people out there who are each going to give $1,000 to my ministry. And, um, and he said, so... Our, our lines are open 24 hours a day. Phone up with your credit card and just say, I'm one of the 1,000. And if you say that, we'll send you a special gift. And like my, Cassie and I are staring at each other. My jaw, jaw has dropped. And I, I'm thinking, this really does happen. <laughs> it's true what people say. Now, obviously, that sort of thing is easy to, um, to pick up. It's, see, that's, that's obvious exploitation, uh, although apparently it works. There are people who are drawn into that. We've got to think about the less obvious uh, forms of fleecing as well. Uh, one that I've been thinking about is where uh, church leaders in regular churches accept money for their own pockets 
for conducting weddings and funerals and accept the money on top of their regular stipends. This is very common. And this can actually be very lucrative if uh, the church building happens to be a, um, a beautiful, pretty sandstone church building in a lovely area where everyone wants to get married. Minister can double his pay by doing two or three weddings every week. We actually stopped that practice here in this church many, many years ago um, for those reasons. Now, this is, though, for all people who shepherd God's flock, not just the paid pastors. What we need in leadership is Christian leaders, particularly in times of prosperity, we need Christian leaders who exemplify contentment and generosity and a heavenly hope rather than those leaders who demonstrate greed. That is bad shepherding. Thirdly, in verse 3, God's shepherds are not to lord it over those who are entrusted to them. And the reality is that part of the reason for that is that they're shepherds. They're not cowboys. I mean, shepherds lead gently from the front. Cowboys use whips to drive and to force from behind. I think that's the difference, isn't it? Now, uh, again, let's be straight on this. Biblical leadership does involve rightful authority. We've seen throughout 1 Peter that uh, uh, there is order in relationships which involves authority and acceptance of that authority. Uh, we've seen that uh, in re relation to uh, governments and the fact that we actually submit to governments uh, to make their work easier. Uh, we've seen it in the workplace and it's been talked about in 1 Peter in terms of families where those who have responsibility to lead actually need a certain degree of authority so that they can do the job. Leadership and authority go hand in hand. And it's the same in church life. We'll see that more next week, actually. But I wonder if you'll come with me just back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews, you'll find that on page 853. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And it's important for you to see this, I think. So I'll just let you flick that open. Hebrews 13, verse 17. And here the author to the Hebrews writes, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority, and here's the reason, because they keep watch over you as men who must give an account. And so obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that will be of no advantage to you. It's no advantage to you if you make life miserable for those who are trying to lead you spiritually. It's no advantage to anyone. 
And so here we see that there is authority in leadership and there is an exhortation for those who are being led. I think it's been said that uh, in Christian leadership we, uh, we, <coughs> we serve by leading and we lead by serving. Those two things go together. The question is, how then is this authority to be exercised? Is it for the spiritual well-being of the flock? Or is it all about the ego and the reputation and the self-satisfaction of the leader? Well, I think the answer is obvious, what it should be. One of the things I've thought about over the years is that... Um, when someone is aspiring to lead in ministry, uh, I'm always interested to think about uh, and to observe in advance just how helpful they have been towards others in leadership when they are not the leader. Uh, that is, how comfortably do they sit under the rightful authority of others who are trying to lead in a godly way? How do they deal with disagreements? Uh, do they deal with that in a godly manner? Uh, do they submit to the authority of others? Because if they're not prepared to humbly respect rightful authority, then they may not be the right person to give authority to because it may be a bit too much about them. They may, may not be helpful to those who will then have to sit under their authority. I think that's an important principle. Uh, as a young Christian, I remember I was invited to join a Bible study group which was being led by uh, someone in my church. Now, I didn't know this, but the elders of the church had not endorsed him to be a leader. I didn't understand the issues, but... I realised pretty quickly that he was self-appointed and what that meant was that he was also unaccountable uh, to anybody. I found out the hard way uh, why he had not been endorsed as a leader because uh, although he knew the Bible very well, he was not a shepherd. He was a cowboy. He was cracking the whip from behind. Uh, the kind of leader who, if you didn't, weren't able to make it to Bible study group that week, uh, you'd soon get a rap over the knuckles for that and uh, it would be difficult to actually leave the group um, because it was so much about him. And indeed, uh, last I heard, uh, he's not actually connected to a church anymore. Friends, in John chapter 10, Jesus said, and I quote, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So there we have that Jesus, though God himself actually humbled himself and became a man, and he died on a cross. And he did so not for himself, but for our forgiveness, for our eternal salvation. 
For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And what this means is that true Christian ministry is cross-shaped in its message and in its character. The gospel itself gives us the very character and the motivation for Christian ministry, for Christian leadership. It's about sacrifice. It's about service. It's about saving people. But Jesus is not just the good shepherd. In verse 4, he is also the chief shepherd. Let me read verse 4. Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. How about that? We'll be wearing crowns. Um, you know, the fact that Jesus is the chief shepherd is a dub double-edged sword because he's coming back. A and that is a reminder to all leaders in Christian ministry that we are not the chief shepherd, that we are the under-shepherds and that therefore we are actually accountable to him. And so his return is that, has that double-edged sword about it because for the false shepherds who have fed and protected not the flock but themselves, uh, the arrival of the chief shepherd is a cause for dread. It is a frightening thought. Uh, they in this life try to avoid suffering and they in this life try to fulfill their cravings but they will suffer for all of eternity and they will crave for all of eternity but for true shepherds and indeed for all who trust in christ the coming of the chief shepherd is our reason for hope and joy verse 4 again Peter says that we will receive a crown can you picture yourself wearing a crown well let me diminish that thought for you for a moment because it won't be a crown like the kind of crown that Queen Elizabeth wears on her head the word that is used here is not the crown of royalty instead it's actually the wreath which in Greek Greek athletic festivals was the reward for victory it's not the crown of royalty it's the reward for victory for Christ has won the victory uh, we're not going to be wearing things on our heads in you know, a little wreaths with leaves and flowers it's the crown of resurrection life which is for Jesus to give to those who are the good shepherds Indeed, for all who stand firm for Christ during times of persecution and times of prosperity. Actually, God himself is our crown. Uh, our prize is that we will live forever uh, in the glory of God, in his heavenly home. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 28 said this. He said, In that day the Lord Almighty 
will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of God's people. That's our reward, to share in his glory the glory of God. So that when the persecutions this world gives are gone forever, and when our cravings that this world cannot satisfy will be fulfilled forever, we will truly understand the crown of glory. So stand firm and shepherd well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the good shepherd. We thank you, Father God, that he did not come to serve himself, but to serve others by dying on the cross. We thank you for the content and the character of that gospel and pray that it would shape our lives and indeed our ministries. That in times of persecution that we will stand firm, in times of prosperity that we will not be lured away. Help us to set our hearts and our minds on that heavenly crown of your resurrection glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.